Well, good morning, LEFC. My name is Jeff Travis, and I have the privilege to serve here as our Connections Pastor. But I am just humbled to be able to have the opportunity to open the Word of God with each of you this morning. So, honestly, though, I am a little bit amazed that I get to stand up here or in some of our ABF Adult Bible Fellowship classes and teach or preach. As a young adult, I used to really have this knack for intending to say one thing, but then when I would open up my mouth and talk, something entirely different would come out. For example, a little story for you. When I was 21 years old, I was serving at a pretty large Christian camp in Ohio uh, as a program director, the summer program director. Now, in this role as program director, um, I got to create the entire schedule for the summer, run the kind of the program each week. I did things like come up with games, developing the daily schedules, writing devotions, I managed our team of counselors, and a, a number of other things that go along with camp ministry. And then, during camp itself, uh, I would actually make all that happen, run the schedule, teach some of those devotions, lead the games. Now, on the very first day of camp, the first week of the entire summer, we're playing a game of pirate-themed capture the flag on this big field up at the top of camp. So to prepare for this game, I had taken dozens of golf balls and spray-painted them gold and scattered them around the field. And the campers were going to be instructed then to go collect the treasure without getting captured by the other team. Now, for those of you who have any sort of familiarity with youth camps, uh, you can do things at camp that just would be weird in normal life. Uh, so to sell this, I was dressed up like a pirate talking in a pirate accent to explain this game. And I told the campers, which, mind you, is about <clears throat> 50 middle schoolers, that in this game, they would have to run across the field and grab some booty. <laughs> yeah, as you can imagine, that got their attention really quick. Any of the campers that wasn't listening, weren't listening earlier, suddenly were. Um, it was totally one of those moments where as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I immediately wanted to suck them back in. Uh, but it was too late. And then they let me be a pastor and preach from stage. Um, but many of us probably have had moments like this, right? If you could, if I gave you a couple seconds, I'm sure a bunch of you could think of a time where you intended to say one thing and try as you might, something else completely different came out that you were not intending. Now, moments like that were not necessarily a one-time experience for me. I've had a few slip-ups that have led to some comical moments and others that I'm not going to repeat from stage. But when we speak, especially when we're speaking with authority or with boldness, people listen. The words that we use hold power, and they say something about us. So this week, as I was preparing for this, I, I just Googled the list of some of the greatest speakers, greatest orators in the history of humanity. Here are some of the names that popped up. Martin Luther King Jr., Winston Churchill, Nelson Mandela, Frederick Douglass, Oprah, Patrick Henry, John Maxwell, G.K. Chesterton, Gandhi, Mr. Rogers, John F. Kennedy, Margaret Thatcher, Hitler, Julius Caesar. Agree or disagree with the viewpoints of the people in that list, when they spoke, when they got up in front of an audience, people listened. And what they spoke about revealed something about them. And scripture says a lot about this. We're going to be diving into it today. 
But we as followers of Jesus Christ must lead the way with the message that we have been given to proclaim, regardless of the size of the platform that you have. So as we are about to open the word together, would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to the things that are real in our lives, that you matter about the ways that we speak, the words that we share. So I pray that as we open scripture this morning, that we would let your words guide us, that they would be what point us to you. So Father, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you, we would submit to you um, and what you have for us this morning. In your name I pray, amen. Well, we'll be continuing our series in the book of James today, so we're going to actually jump into chapter 3. Tony wrapped up chapter 2 last week, so please turn with me to James chapter 3. We'll be in verses 1 to 12. If you need a Bible, please just slip your hand up in the air. Uh, We have ushers coming up and down the aisles who would be happy to give you a Bible. Um, Or if you have your phone and are on the YouVersion Bible app, you can find LEFC under the Events tab. We're in James 3, 1 to 12. Read it with me. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water overflow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Well, right off the bat, that is a harsh warning to teachers and preachers. I just want to get done. I want to be off the stage and not have to be judged anymore, right? But I want to kind of take a poll in here. How many of you in this room teach the Bible in some context, whether that's in one of our adult Bible fellowship settings, up here on the stage, uh, in a school setting, to children, to youth, or to other adults? If that's true of you, that you teach the Bible in some context, could you just raise your hand? Yeah, that's a good number of people around this room. And those of you with your hands up, be careful. We will be judged more strictly. And why? Well, God's word and his truths are important. If we mess that up, there's a lot on the line. We even see this in here, verse 2. It continues that we all stumble. Nobody is perfect. Even those of us who are teachers are going to fail. That's why here at LEFC, when we preach and teach, 
we stick so closely to the word of God, it never fails. I will fail. Pastor Tony will fail. Tom will fail. Anybody that's up here, we will fail at some point in our lives and repeatedly. The word of God does not. That, though, does not free us from having to be careful and held to high accountability when we teach. But we do know that we have the unchanging truth that guides us in what we say so that we will not lead people astray. Now, if you teach, keep this in mind. You have authority over the people that you are teaching. You are responsible to shepherd their souls. It's not just your words that matter, it is your whole life, but you have to watch your words because if you don't, they will lead your people astray. So let's step back. Let's look at the context of this, this passage on the tongue, because I know I really narrowed in on teachers there, so I want to open it up to all of us. This passage on the tongue comes immediately out of where Pastor Tony was at the end of chapter 2 last week on faith and deeds. Now, when James wrote this book, he did not write in the, the, the break for chapter 3. Now, there may have been a line break, but there was no big 3 in his manuscript. There weren't verses. So he wasn't just ending a thought and then throwing this piece on the tongue into his book to float aimlessly amongst other little nuggets of wisdom. It, it ties in. So as we heard last week, if our deeds are evidence of our faith and our hearts having been transformed by the gospel, we can look at this passage about the way that we use our words to illustrate one of the ways that our deeds show faith, maturity, and heart change. It comes down to this, the way that you use your tongue, the, the words that are going to come out of your mouth, they're evidence of your faith and what is going on in your heart. When we look at this passage, when we really drill down into it, it talks about the tongue over and over and over. But I don't think these verses are all really only about the tongue. They're about our hearts. Our tongues are evidence of what's going on inside of our hearts. Any heart not submitted to Christ can and will lead to a tongue that starts a wildfire. Now, Jesus talks about this many times throughout Scripture. We see him rebuke the Pharisees on a number, over and over and over, actually, about some of the things that they say and do, but even to his disciples. Luke chapter 6 is a great example of this. If you'd like, feel free to turn there with me. I'm just going to read three verses. Luke 6, 43 to 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. We've been looking at this theme of maturity over the course of this series. In chapter one, we began by looking that maturity is built through suffering. And then at the end of chapter one, Pastor Tony taught how maturity is built by the response to God's word. So we've been looking at these ways that maturity or true faith can be built. Today, we're gonna see that how that maturity that has been built up is evidenced by the way that we speak, how we use our tongues. We just read last week, chapter 2, 26, that faith without deeds is dead. The words that you speak, they are deeds. They are 
proof of what is inside of you. What a person says and does is a strong indication of what they actually believe. People don't say things that they don't believe to be true, right? What you believe in your heart to be truth, those are the things that you spend time thinking about. And then what you think about, those things become your desires. And then the things that you desire lead to what you talk about and the things that you act on. But yet verse 2 tells us that we're going to stumble in many ways. So the unfortunate reality is that we are going to say things that we regret, things that we shouldn't, things that don't honor God, things that don't honor other people. A tongue problem is reflective of a heart problem. Now, when my kids are wild and out of control and I just want to control them and make them do what I think is right, I might lash out harshly and admonish them. That's not just my tongue. That's reflective of what's going on in my heart. Or say you're at work and you have a big deadline coming up, a lot on your plate, and your boss comes up and adds a whole bunch of other stuff that has to be done at the same time, and you turn to one of your coworkers and complain. What's that saying about your heart in your response? Jeremiah 17.9 says that our hearts are evil and beyond a cure. The reality is that we can't control our hearts on our own. Back in James 3, as we read through that, I'm sure you picked up there's illustration after illustration after illustration in there that prove this point about the tongue. I want to focus in on two of them, one about the bit in the mouth of a horse and the one about the rudder on a boat. They're in verses 3 to 5. They say, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Now, this bit in the mouth of a horse, if you're not familiar with what that is, there's a picture on the screen behind me. The bit is essentially the steering wheel for the horse, right? On its own, the bit doesn't do anything more than just annoy the horse. But if it is effective, it's connected through the reins to the rider. And then that rider can use the bit to pull back and, change, and make the horse stop or turn and make the horse change direction. The, the, the rider controls the movement of the horse effectively when it uses the bit well. Likewise, with the boat, it needs a rudder to change direction. But a rudder does not have a mind of its own. It needs a person or a captain to steer it. Our tongues are the same way. This bit and the rudder, they're powerful tools, and so are our tongues. But just like those tools, our tongues don't function on our own. Your brain is telling your tongue to speak, and what is in your heart is what comes out. So then let's ask the question, what are the things that are in our lives that are steering our hearts? What are your desires? Is it the American dream, always achieving more or making more money? Is it the pursuit of building up a name for yourself? Is it the news channel that you watch? Or maybe always needing to be right? Or perfectionism? Or working hard to achieve all on your own doing? Or just plain old selfishness? What is steering your heart? If we're going to be steered not by those, but instead towards maturity, towards good deeds, we need someone steering our hearts because 
We're not gonna get there on our own. And who is that someone? It's the Holy Spirit. Verse eight tells us that no human being on their own can control their tongue, can tame their tongue. I told you about how I have these tongue slip-ups, and that used to happen a lot to me. By God's grace, it's not that frequent anymore, and through that, he has spared me from some things that could have been inappropriate or causing damage. But I still haven't mastered my tongue because I still have more work that needs to be done on my heart. It might just come out in other ways, like talking about my kids, the way that I react to them when they do something that bothers me, or joking sarcastically. Those things don't just show a problem with my tongue, they show a problem with my heart. Now, people who knew me back when my tongue slips were pretty common would laugh if they knew that I was gonna be preaching at a large church someday. Now, but I'm not preaching here because I've gotten better at talking. I'm preaching here because the Spirit leads me. I have submitted to Him. I trust Him to reveal truth from His Word and give me insights. It's not me or my oration skills, it's the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 is a great real-life example of this. In Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit descending its tongues of fire on the disciples, and they are standing in front of a large gathering of people from many different nations who speak different languages. And as the Spirit lands and rests on the disciples, they start to proclaim the good news of Christ in every tongue and language so that everybody there can understand. Now, these men weren't very educated. Some of them may have been. Most of them probably were not. So it's not like they had multiple languages just at their disposal. This was clearly the Spirit in their life. And we get to have that same Spirit indwell within us if we have surrendered our lives to Christ. To truly be able to submit to the Spirit for help in steering our hearts and our tongues, we have to humbly, speak, humbly pursue wisdom. If you sneak ahead into James, the end of James 3, where Pastor Tony's going to be going next week, it is all about this idea of wisdom. These things are tied together. So there, we see these messages of wisdom or truth, these so-called messages of wisdom and truth, all around the culture around us. There's, there's common phrases that we may even repeat ourselves that sound good, but in reality, what are we actually saying? What are we actually telling people to do? For example, your happiness is the most important thing. Or a good old one, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Or you need this and you deserve this. Or Pennsylvania, if you've ever driven back into the state of Pennsylvania, the slogan that you see on our signs, find your happiness. If we allow these earthly wisdom things, the things that might sound good, but if we let that steer us rather than the Holy Spirit, it's not going to take long till our hearts are calloused and untruths start to come out of our mouth. So how does this practically work itself out in our day-to-day -day life? Why does this even matter? Let's talk about this word oikos. We hear it a lot here. If you're new, it's part of who we are. You'll hear it a lot. It's the 6 to 15 people that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in your sphere of influence. It's the people who you're going to rub shoulders with on a very regular basis. And your job within your oikos is to make disciples. If these people don't know Christ, we have the opportunity to point them towards Christ, to reveal him and pray that he draws their hearts to his own. If they already know Christ, we get the joy of walking alongside together and pointing each other towards Christ as we journey in our faith. Now, you have influence with the people in your oikos. They listen to what you have to say, 
And if they didn't, they probably wouldn't be in your oikos. So when you're with them, what are the words that you're using? Do people leave time spent with you built up, encouraged, more deeply in love with God? The way that you talk, more than anything else, will likely make your relationship with Jesus obvious to those around you. Now, talking about wisdom and humility, for us to talk like that is not natural because wisdom and humility are not natural human tendencies. From the moment that we start communicating as babies, we cry for what we want. Even as toddlers, it's all me, 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 me. But we don't just leave that back as children, even as adults. It just presents itself different ways, maybe in the way that we're pursuing our own dreams. Now, as a parent, I have fortunately just stepped out of the baby phase. Uh, my youngest is now two as of last week um, and is communicating pretty well on her own. But yeah, a few short months ago, if there was something that she really wanted, she would cry and scream until she got it. Now as a toddler, if she hears us say the word no, a lot of that crying and screaming is the natural tendency still. But even as adults, what about these dreams that we may chase, that we've been pursuing for a long time, for all of our lives, but then life throws a curveball. It doesn't go the way that you expect, and you just see your dreams disappear. What's your first heart reaction to that? What comes out of your mouth in that moment? Your tongue is evidence of your wicked heart, your depravity, and your need for a savior. However, when we submit to the Holy Spirit, our tongues instead can be evidence of our savior. When Tony was wrapping up chapter one, there was a small section in there about the tongue, kind of as a precursor to this. He said this, your tongue is not meant to be the complete list by which our religion could be rendered worthless, but it is the most likely evidence of a true faith. At the end of the day, your tongue is great evidence to your walk with God. There's a Scottish theologian, his name is Sinclair Ferguson. He wrote this, temptation, and therefore spiritual compromise, often find their easiest access route to the heart via the eyes. By the same token, sin may find its easiest exit route from our hearts via the mouth. I want to read that again. I think this is really profound. Temptation, and therefore spiritual compromise, often find their easiest access route to the heart via the eyes. And by the same token, sin may find its easiest exit route from our hearts via the mouth. Sin comes into the heart through the eyes and out through the mouth. James knew this. He writes, writes a rebuke in, uh, in chapter 3, 9 to 12. He writes, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now, I know that this is not true of everyone in this room, but it's easy to show up here on a Sunday morning all put together, wearing your best, engaging in worship songs, and being kind to those around you. But then when you're outside of these walls, when you're back with your coworkers or your classmates, to let your language slip in just like theirs, to use just as profane, inappropriate language. Or 
Yeah, and James saw that with the believers in the first century. They're no different than we are today. Our hearts are still the same. Sin is still an issue. Our tongues reflect that. If you drive out of here today, you go through this new traffic circle that we have out in front, and somebody zips in and cuts you off, and you start to mutter under your breath, you might honk at them because they need to know that they're wrong. Has this truth really settled into your heart? That's super convicting to me. You can ask my wife. She was nodding vigorously in first service. Rude drivers are my biggest pet peeve. I want them to know how wrong they are. I might not literally curse them with my mouth in that moment, but I sure might with my horn or maybe my heart. Is that showing them Jesus? Is that a reflection of a transformed heart? I need to recognize that to Jesus, I am worse than a rude driver. We all are, but he still died for us. When this truth of the gospel penetrates into our hearts, our mouths and our actions are going to reflect that. Now, this is not going to be an overnight change. Now, God could absolutely do that, but our walk with Christ is a process. That process is called sanctification. It's, sanctification is that daily journey of becoming more and more like Christ and less and less like the world around you. This gospel truth drives us to repentance. It's a recognition of our shortcomings, our weaknesses, our sin. We confess those to God. And then understanding what he has done for us, this leads to radical transformation in our hearts and then our tongues. So, your tongue is evidence of where you are in your spiritual walk. It is what others around you see. We get to help each other with this. While yes, we need to be working on ourselves, we also get to encourage our friends, our family with this. Last year, I had the opportunity to preach on the power of the name of God. And this is one of the areas where I think, unfortunately, we as Christians have allowed the culture to shape us, to, to change the way that we talk without even recognizing it. When we use God's name, we should be using it for praise, for honor, for glory, or to proclaim it to the world around us. And yet, far too often, we let an, oh Lord, or an, oh my God, slip out. Those might seem innocent enough in the moment, but are they evidence of a heart transformed by the gospel that wants to lift his name high? It's not. So be careful by your tongue, with your tongue. And as evidenced by this passage, what we read, our tongues may be small, but they are mighty. So how do we do this? How do we allow our hearts to be transformed to the extent, to such a degree, that it's going to affect what comes out of our mouths? As we move towards conclusion, concluding today, I want to spend some time in a different passage of Scripture. In Colossians chapter 3, would you turn there with me? We're going to read, it's going to be a little bit of a longer section but it's one of my favorites, Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 17. Colossians 3, 1 to 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, 
lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I don't have time to work through this passage verse by verse, so there's some homework for you this week. Spend some time in Colossians 3. It's an incredible passage. The beginning couple verses are all about our hearts and our vertical relationship with our Father, and then the rest of it transitions into our horizontal relationships with each other, and our tongues are a big part of that because we communicate. So instead, I'm just going to pull out five, I think, practical takeaways from this passage, and then please reflect on it a little deeper this week. Number one, set your eyes and hearts on things above. Remember that quote from Sinclair Ferguson about temptation and sin entering through the eyes to the heart and then exiting through the mouth? Colossians 3 has two separate lists of sins to avoid, very specifically. And if you look at that closely, a number of them are actually about the way that we speak. But it starts off by calling us to set our eyes, set our minds, set our hearts on things above. Since Jesus has died for you and then resurrected, declaring victory over sin and over death, you also have been raised with him. Set your focus on him. So as you meditate on Colossians 3 this week, humbly ask God to continue transforming your life. Let it affect the way that you interact with those in your circle of influence, those who listen to you. A few weeks ago, when Tom was preaching on favoritism, he said this, as we go through the rest of this book, book of James, which has a lot of commands, which we see today, our focus must stay on the object of our faith, our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we do that, we will see that he is not compatible with sinful behaviors like favoritism. We could take that word favoritism out and instead say we'll see that he is not compatible with sinful behaviors like an uncontrolled tongue. But we have to remember through all of that to keep our eyes focused on Christ. Number two, be aware of what you are filling yourself with or what you're listening to. What is that stuff calling you towards? The things that we fill our hearts with affect, I'm sorry, the things we fill our minds with affect our hearts. Are you discerning in who you listen to teach scripture? Not everyone who gets up in front of an audience with a Bible has good intentions. There's 
plenty of resources, sermons, videos, podcasts out there that people open scripture, but really what they're doing is giving out their own opinion that is wrong, but using scripture to try to validate it out of context. Or do you read or listen to filth? You might not think that this makes a difference, but over time, that's going to harden you to evil. It builds up walls in your heart, and it doesn't take long for that filth to slip out of your mouth. But on the flip side, the things that you listen to, the things you read or watch, if they're uplifting, if they're pushing you towards Christ, it's going to break down those walls in your heart. You'll find yourself talking about and singing those truths. The whole second half of this passage in Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17, are all, there's a, there's a list in there of things for us to put on, things to be filled with. Those, let our, those are the things that let our hearts gaze upon Christ. Number three, saturate yourself in Scripture. There is not anything that can replace time in the Word and with our Father. When we're filling our time with Scripture, those verses are naturally going to be on our minds and in our hearts there's many ways to do this. Whatever your practice, whether it's meditation or memorization or many more, whatever the discipline is that you use to spend quality time in the word, the more you allow it to do that, the more it saturates you, the more your heart and your eyes will be set on him. Psalm 119.11, if you were raised in the church, it's probably a verse that you memorized at some point as a kid. I have hidden your word in my heart so I might not sin against God. Letting God penetrate, God's word penetrate our hearts changes our actions. It beats back temptation and it draws us closer to him. Number four, speak aloud praise to God. Colossians 3.16, which we read, says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. When your heart is full of scripture, it's going to come out of your mouth in praise. That is setting your eyes, setting your heart on things above. And we get to do this in community with other believers. It builds up that love and unity that is found within the body of Christ. We've done that together this morning. Pray through passages of scripture. I love to do this with the Psalms. Read them aloud as a, pray, as a prayer back to God. And finally, number five, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Does that sound familiar? Back from James 1? I guarantee you that when I was younger, if I took a little bit longer to think about what I was about to say, I probably could have avoided some of those slip-ups. But why are we always so quick to try to get a word in? Or probably more so even the last word. Listen first, and then speak out of an overflow of a heart that has been transformed by Christ. When we do this, the list that I read in Colossians 3, 12, and 13, those are the things that are going to come out. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love, and unity. These practices, these five things, it's not a comprehensive list, but they will help along the journey of transformation of your heart. And transformation of your heart leads to a transformation of your tongue. And a transformation of your tongue is going to be noticed by those around you. And who knows what kind of doors that may open for you to boldly proclaim Jesus within your oikos. So as I close, I want to read this last verse again in Colossians 3, 17. 
And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, all to the glory of God. Yeah, it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Would you stand and join us as we commit our hearts to the Lord this morning in song?
been following along in the Bible app, you'll see that there's a number of Proverbs left in there that I haven't read yet. And Proverbs is full of wisdom, and a lot of that relates to the way that we speak. They're great studies. But this morning, I was sitting at the breakfast table, and I was going to read those Proverbs to you right now, but as I was sitting at the breakfast table this morning, doing my own devotions, I read this passage in Psalms that I just kind of wondered why that's why what God put on my heart this morning, and I wasn't quite sure. And then I got here into my office and started preparing to speak and realized, oh, that's why God put those, hard, those passages um, in there this morning for me to read. And I want to read that instead. Um, it's Psalm 24 and 5. It says, May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Those desires, we talked about them this morning, those are the things that are born out of what is in our heart that lead us to, our, to action or to speaking. So where are our desires? If they're coming out of a heart transformed by Christ, man, they're going to look radically different than the desires of a heart that are reflecting on just earthly desires, the earthly wisdom and so-called wisdom that we talk about. Those desires become what you speak about and how you speak. So the words that you say matter. Submit yourself to the transforming work of Christ and let your faith be evidenced by the words that you speak. As you go this morning, if you would like to pray with somebody or just to talk, ask some questions, there's going to be people in the encounter room in the back corner. I'll be down front. Please don't leave without praying with someone or talking if you feel like you need to. So as you go today, go seeking wisdom and humility. See you next week.